Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to another edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, the deep dive kind of subset. This time around, instead of looking at a specific fight or a strategy that was employed over the course of one, uh, we're going to look on at one specific fighter and kind of do a skill study breakdown on them. I'm Robert Winfrey, of course, and this time around, at, we're going to be looking at UFC... Four, former UFC interim cha- welterweight champion Colby Covington. Given that UFC 245 is coming up in a few days, depending on whenever you happen to listen to this, and he's one half of the main event. I'm really hoping to have my one for another one of these for Kamaru Usman, the welterweight champion done before UFC 245, so cross your fingers that my life doesn't get crazy between now and then and I can get that finished up and recorded. But Covington is a character that doesn't get a lot of fair shakes. And some of this is by design. He's just a deliberate provocateur in many respects. He has gone out of his way to make himself a heel and to just be as deliberately attention-grabbing as possible. And there's a variety of reasons for this, most of which is just how the incentive structure in the UFC and MMA media functions at the moment. He's actively incentivized on all by all sides to behave the way he does, so you shouldn't be surprised when someone behaves that way. If you want a more comprehensive look at his character evolution, and I'll say character because I believe he's doing the old pro wrestling thing, finding some aspect of his personality and just cranking the dial up to 11, 12, 13. There's a mixed Molly Whoppery video on that that I will have a link to in the description of this. That is, again, very informative about kind of how his career is how his career has taken this particular trajectory. So, if you're interested in that, I think there will be a link. And on that note, yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. Oh, sorry, before I get started <laughs> on the specifics of this, I did one of these a couple of weeks ago on Alexander Volkanovski and how he beat Jose Aldo, and I. I said specifically, if you want to see more of these, I, I'm going to need proper feedback on them because I don't want to put in a tremendous amount of time and effort into these things if no one cares. And you all responded positively. Uh, it's, I believe, one of the most listened or viewed... I don't care very much about the numbers. I've said that in the past, and I maintain that. But it, this is that was one of the most... Uh, viewed or listened to. It's certainly one of the ones that got the most comments, so I just wanted to take half a second here before we jump into Covington and say thank you for your reaction to that. Thank you for your support. It is the reason I continue to do stuff like this, so thank you all very much. It is profoundly appreciated. And I'm open to constructive criticism, so if you have something that you would like to say or see, I know that for the YouTube viewing audience, I know that this is purely an auditory experience at the moment. Or, would it be oral? A-U-R-A-L? Oh, one of the two. <laughs> and YouTube is a video platform, so thank you all for bearing with me about that. Uh, that may or may not change in the future. We're, we're going to see how that works or not, but I wanted to let you know I appreciate you guys as well for it, whatever platform you happen to have found this on. Uh, it can be that just a pure podcast app, you know, or 
YouTube or where have you. Thank you very much. Thank you for telling your friends about this if they're even remotely interested. Uh, that is always, always deeply appreciated. So just wanted to kind of get that out of the way in a good way because thank you very much for that. That, that means a lot. All right, let's talk about Colby Covington for a little bit here. Similar to what we kind of did with Aldo and Volkanovski when talking about that fight, I think it's important to establish the underlying condition for a fighter's success. So in the case of Colby Covington, what is the underlying condition for his success? What has to succeed in order for him to be successful? What has to happen? And and this is most true recently. I think the answer is just to fight it is to make sure the fight is contested at a high pace, bordering on the ridiculous at times. When I when we talked about uh, Volkanovski a little bit, I mentioned that Volkanovski has to be a pressure fighter, and that there's a difference between pressure and pace. Covington is absolutely a pace first fighter. Uh, you can see in a few of his fights, be that uh, the Rafael dos Anjos fight or the Lawler fight. You know, I, I'm focusing on the most recent three fights for this because be going back further than that, there's just too much skills maturation for them to give a tremendous amount of valuable data. Plus, I don't think you guys want to hear me talk about him versus Dong Yun Kim in any sort of, sort of real way. He's, again, the Lawler fight in particular, I think most of the fifth round, he spends backing up. He's willing to cede forward motion in favor of the fight being contested at a high pace. That's what he wants more than anything. Someone like Volkanovski or... Usman, as circumstance may have it, they want to be the ones going forward. That is more important to them than the pace at which the fight is contested. Most fighters who are pressure fighters like a higher-paced fight, but they want to be moving forward more than they want to be fighting at a high pace. Rafael dos Anjos is this way. It's a, lo it's a long-standing kind of like tradition that if you're a pressure fighter, you tend to go at a high pace. But it's not necessarily true. Again, uh, Kamaru Usman does not fight at a particularly accelerated pace, not to say a bad one. But he does have to be the one kind of pressuring forward in order to be successful. More on him coming shortly, as mentioned before. In the case of Covington, he likes to be the one pressuring forward. He likes to impose that pace. But if you're willing to come to him and engage at that work rate, he's willing to back up. He's willing to just keep you working, whether you're going forward or backwards, purely in the name of continuing the overall work rate of the fight. That is his. That is the fundamental condition, I think, that has to be there for him to be successful. A lot of motion, a lot of work, and a lot of activity from both fighters, that tends to be where he is at his best. And Covington's game doesn't change a tremendous amount whether he's moving forward or backwards. It's kind of the surprising thing to me as I was rewatching fights. Moving backward, I'm, I'm leaning mostly on the Lawler fight for this, as it is the most recent. When moving forward, Covington will kick more than when he's moving backward, but he's always trying to keep something in your face. I think his constant jabs, while they are not the most technically sound jabs you will ever see, anytime Robbie Lawler tries to bob and weave and close distance on him, there's just always a jab in his face. And I don't know if it was Lawler just kind of stalling out, which has happened to him in the past, 
or if it was an active, or if the jab was kind of an active disruptor of what he's trying to accomplish with his motion. But uh, he's he's very active going forward or backward. Covington will also use takedowns a lot, and when going backwards, he's pretty decent about timing a takedown under your forward motion, especially if you really commit your weight to it. So a lot of people just don't. They tend to punch in without a lot of weight committing, without a lot of committing of weight, without a lot of you know real pressure being put onto one leg that he can get under and sacrificing their mobility. And it it does. It just kind of wears people down. It frankly wears Covington down at times. You can see that while he is conditioned to continue fighting, he the fact that he is forcing this much activity, it does take a toll on him as well. He's just again, properly conditioned for it, but if you look in the, both the Maya and the Rafael dos Anjos fights, you can see him at, at a couple of different points in time kind of hit a bit of a wall. Now, I think the Lawler fight is more valuable when it comes to discussing this because that is the most recent, and if he didn't like the where his conditioning was after the Dos Anjos fight over five rounds, he seems to have addressed it because it was much more consistent in the Lawler fight than the RDA fight. But that is, I I do believe that 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 is the the most important condition for his success is the high pace, the constant motion, the just making you work until. His opponent can't anymore, or even if they can, they just kind of get overwhelmed by everything coming at them and start slowing down, shutting down, freezing up. And even if they don't, just the sheer work rate he's able to put in, if you're not able to either exceed it or do something of significant scoring value, he'll win a decision just based on hitting you more than you hit him. If you don't do something else of, again, real significant value. And that's a really interesting spot to be in because there's there's not a tremendous amount of fighters right now who rely on constant activity the way that he does. But you can see this desire for motion and for activity in all areas of his game. Uh, let's talk about his wrestling first. Because he is a Division One All-American wrestler. I believe he's representing Oregon State at the time. Uh, go Beavers! I lived in Oregon for five years. I, I don't actually have a dog in the in the collegiate athletics hunt, but I am aware of their existence. Covington's wrestling is very—it's very different if you're used to seeing guys kind of do what. Usman, in particular, again, we'll get his study should be coming shortly, or Khabib, in some respects, guys who really want to attain a position of control, establish control, and then look to inflict damage. Covington doesn't really do that. He's more interested in securing a takedown, usually against the fence, because that's just how. Fence wrestling is much more common right now in MMA than open mat wrestling. That's just the the way the meta is, uh, kind of regardless. That seems to be where most of it happens. He's good about 
getting you, you know, getting you down to a knee, hitting a go, hitting a, you know, a go behind or a peek out, and getting your back, hitting mat returns, and just making you work. Even though after he gets you down, he doesn't really establish a control position. He doesn't get both hooks in and really slow everything down to try and you know, work for something else. He doesn't get you know one hook in and then really kind of lock down another wrist. It's not to say he doesn't look for those positions, but if you watch a much more control-oriented wrestler, they really prioritize stopping their opponent from moving. Covington is more content to allow them to move, confident in his ability to force the fight back where he wants it to if he has to, and confident in his conditioning to maintain the pace that his opponent cannot. Uh, the Lawler fight in particular featured a somewhat interesting opening sequence. and not, uh, I shouldn't say opening opening, but the first time they really start wrestling, Covington's able to get Lawler down against the cage, kind of, you can scoots around to his back, and he doesn't really fight for hooks a whole lot. Instead, he threatens a lot of kind of rear naked choke attempts. Now, I say it, put some air quotes around attempts there, because there's not really any possibility of the choke as he kind of goes for it. It's more of a threat. It's more just a, hey, my arm is across your chin, you have to address this, or it could become something. And in the meantime, I'm going to use this to kind of pressure you, either pressure you to pull you back, force you to kind of to go to your back because I don't have any hips, it, I don't have any hooks in, and then utilize that to maintain a control position. It's a constant just threat but a threat designed to evoke motion in a particular direction rather than a threat designed to end the fight. And I thought it was odd because it reminded me of a fight that happened more recently, uh, the fight between Khabib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier. If you watch that fight, especially I believe the first round, it's been a while since I've rewatched that fight, so forgive me if I'm mistaken there, Khabib does a lot of getting to the back with one hook in, a ride position, getting one arm kind of around Poirier's face or or chin, but never really under around the neck, and then forcing Poirier to address the arm position or the and the potential of the choke. Because while it's not a choke initially, it can develop into one if you don't address it in some form or fashion. It's that kind of thing that actually leads into the choke finish at the end in that particular fight, but here we have a fight that takes place earlier, chronologically, and Covington is doing kind of the same thing. He's using these choke threats against Robbie Lawler to force him to move in a specific way, rather than really sinking hooks in, really committing to a back mount, and then and then going for the choke. He uses the choke to force Lawler to move, or to execute a degree of control, because if you can control the head reasonably, you can kind of maneuver someone's body around. And it just was an interesting observation for me that those two, they don't train together, wound up doing utilizing a very, very similar tactic against, in some respects, very different foes, but to largely the same effect, that of control, that of but again, Khabib prioritizes control a little bit more than Covington does. 
Covington uses it to kind of prevent Lawler from ever settling. Anytime he gets his neck around his arm around Lawler's neck, Lawler has to do something about it or risk the situation becoming worse for him. And Covington is content in some respects to let him move. There's plenty of times that he could have at least tried putting hooks in to control Lawler's hips and lower body, and he just never makes the attempt. Either because he doesn't feel confident in his ability to do so for whatever reason, or just how early it was in the fight he didn't want to wind up committing to that position and then having Lawler escape and get on top of him. Uh, There's a variety of reasons, but it was just kind of an interesting point that we might see... Something we might see more often is just that arm kind of around the face and neck... It's not a full-on cross face because it's lower, but utilizing that rear naked choke threat from some degree of back control to for to either reestablish control, occupy one of your opponent's hands, or force them to move in a specific direction. We you don't see a tremendous amount of that right now in MMA, and you might see more of it going forward because we're we're starting to see some people utilize it. Covington, and to his credit, is the first one of them. <laughs> Uh, because Khabib's fight with Poirier happened after that fight. Uh, Covington all, tends to lean a little bit on being the better wrestler. And if you're keeping score about how that might match up with Usman, that can be a bit of a troubling reality in his uh, in that fight. If he is not just demonstrably superior, then things could get very, very Usman-sided very quickly. He tends to establish a takedown threat very early. He did not in the Damian Maya fight for somewhat obvious reasons. But against both Rafael dos Anjos and Robbie Lawler, Covington's opening salvo is move to the center of the cage very quickly, threaten and back up your opponent until they hit the fence, and then shoot to close distance. In both of those cases, in both of those fights, the entire first round was spent almost entirely engaged in fence wrestling or any any part that wasn't got back there relatively quickly. In subsequent rounds, he seems to take more time to you know, establish his striking game, utilize that. But the opening salvo to kind of establish, hey, this is, this is where I can take the fight, let's see who's superior here, is a, if not, certainly a recent habit, if nothing else. And it does either throw your opponent off of their game mentally or at least tire them out physically. Stopping a takedown, especially from a good takedown artist, is a taxing effort physically. Especially on the arms. Uh, George St. Pierre, very famously in his rematch with BJ Penn, spent the entire first round kind of clinching and wrestling specifically to fill up BJ Penn's shoulders and arms with blood and fatigue them and slow them down for the rest of the fight. Which worked quite <laughs> quite well in that particular fight. And Covington seems to employ a somewhat similar strategy in the first round of his fights. Just get your opponent working, get their arms a little bit fatigued, find out where you can establish some degree of control in the clinch or some element of it that is somewhat that you can be somewhat superior at. Covington's clinch game is a lot of rinse and repeat as far as entries go in some of the early positions. Uh, Rafael Dussan just found a fair degree of success, kind of stifling him early, landing knees to the body, because Covington does a lot of bending 
he he tends to have his lean his upper body into you and have his hips back, as contrasted with other fighters who prefer a more upright clinch position. And that does expose your body to offense. Again, Dos Anjos found a fair number of knees. Dos Anjos just couldn't keep Covington off of him for any sustained length of time, if you want to get into that fight in particular. But Covington will try to find some element of the clinch that he can try to exploit, if whether that's your reaction to a specific sequence, whether that's uh, you constantly trying to cross-face and frame off of him, which Dos Anjos did a lot. He, he just wants to get a feel for how that will go and then see if there's an there's some countermeasure he can employ. And his pace, again, wrestling is very, very high. Covington's UFC average for takedowns right now stands at 5.69 takedowns per 15 minutes. So call it 5.7 if you want to be, if you want to round a little bit. That's a lot. <laughs> That's three takedowns around uh, if you're talking about a 15-minute fight. And I, if you've never had to take someone down who's trying to stop you from doing so, especially against the, against the fence, that is a labor-intensive act, activity. And it's you know, fairly, it's not exactly easy to stop either. You are utilizing proper technique, but there's a lot of muscular and vascular involvement. And that, again, that's a really, really high pace. Uh, he actually does have the most takedowns amongst active welterweights in the UFC. I believe George St. Pierre has the all-time record. I think Johnny Hendricks is behind that. And then Covington, I think, is third if we include, like, all-time. But amongst active welterweights, yeah, he's top of the heap at the moment. Now, there's a bit of a linguistic discrepancy between takedowns and mat returns if you talk to amateur, uh, you know, amateur wrestling aficionados. And Daniel Cormier on commentary has on occasion taken issue with the scoring of a takedown that was more of a mat return. And those are important distinctions if you exist in the amateur wrestling world. I don't mean to pretend that they're being overly pedantic. They do matter there. For the purposes of mixed martial arts, a mat return and a takedown are functionally identical in the sense that it is des it is designed to get your opponent to the mat that's more important. The reality of being on the mat is more important than the manner with which you get there. And Covington does a lot of that. He does a lot of mat returns, especially if he's able to get behind you and get a rear waist lock. He's good about tripping you back down. He's good about you know, elevating and dropping you back. He's good about coming... He's really good, actually, about coming from... Uh, having the back in a tight waist or a rear waist lock, and then scooting around to be in good position in front of you for a double leg. And he's just, constant, constant motion, constant takedowns. And it, it's a very tiring thing to deal with if you're the opponent, and that seems to be more what he's interested in, is just forcing you to work and work and tiring you out. Uh, last thing I want to say about his wrestling is that Covington seems to exist currently more in the kind of Khabib meta. If you watch his earlier career, his first you know, few UFC fights, there's a bit more of the kind of the jiu-jitsu, the standard jiu-jitsu meta as far as the positional hierarchy goes. 
more recently, he seems to have abandoned that and in favor of just, again, work rate and not even really kind of the half-control positions that Kamaru Usman favors. Just constantly making you work. And he doesn't do a whole lot of ground and pound. Uh, again, over the last three fights in particular, it's something of a rarity. He'd rather just kind of be wrestling when he's wrestling and devote more energy to tiring you out than inflicting damage when in that particular space. On the feet, when it comes to his striking, Covington still maintains motion, activity, a lot of forward, a lot of forward motion, but as mentioned before, he will cede that in favor of you continuing to engage at a high pace. And it, it mostly functions to stop his opponent ever from having a break, be that in the wrestling, in the clinch, at distance striking, you always have to be working against him. And he maintains a very, very high work rate in the striking game as well. Uh, the Lawler fight in particular is a somewhat staggering example of this. Covington is credited officially with over 500 significant strike attempts during that fight. Now, what exactly constitutes a significant strike? I'm not entirely sure how they <laughs> how they determine the difference. I know they discount jabs from significant strikes, and Covington threw a lot of jabs in that fight, too. So, if all you're talking about is significant strikes, over 500 is a very, very high number. If you want to break it down mathematically... If those were distributed evenly, that's 100 strikes per round, which is about which is 20 per minute, if we round to even numbers. That is a crazy pace to maintain just against a heavy bag. To say nothing of mixing and wrestling and clinch work and the fundamental reality of another human being, especially someone as devastating as Robbie Lawler, actively opposing everything you're trying to do. And also, for the record, those strikes were not evenly distributed. Covington accelerated throughout the course of that particular fight. In fact, the fifth round, he attempted the most strikes of any round in the fight. He attempted 134 significant strikes. And again, there were a lot of jabs that round as well. Now, he landed 41 of those 134. Covington doesn't have the highest accuracy rating. But... Accuracy is not really a score... I shouldn't say it's not a scoring criteria, but it is a less... It's a less... I've given lesser consideration to... Well, you missed 25 punches, and you only landed three. If your opponent only lands one, and it's you know, of less value than... But they if the, your opponent lands one of one, and you land, like, three of 25 you're probably going to win that round unless that one was some kind of big knockdown or staggers you or finishes the fight. Uh, he's Covington is perfectly willing to sacrifice accuracy for volume. And again, the Lawler fight in particular, he just accelerates throughout the, to the, in the course of that fight. I mean, he throws 105 significant strikes in round 2, 117 in round 3, 130 in round 4, and 134 in round 5. It's just constant, constant work. Uh, also, of note in the Lawler, uh, also of note somewhat in the Lawler fight, 
he uh, there was there was like no ground striking by either man in that fight and in the case of Lawler that's not terribly surprising and when you look at Covington's game and the way he chooses to implement it it shouldn't be terribly surprising there either now th- that might uh somewhat give away the last little bit that we're talking about here but the final thing to really consider when we're talking about Covington's skill set high pace you know, wrestling scrambles and just constant wrestling more than control positions, constant activity on the feet. Where does he really like to fight? Where does he get the most of his most of his work done? And in Covington's case, despite the wrestling pedigree, which is not insignificant, it tends to be on the feet. In his last three fights, in order from furthest to most recent, Damian Maya, Rafael dos Anjos, and Robbie Lawler. Of Covington's total offense, they were uh, they were on the feet to the tune of 92% for Maya, 90% for RDA, and 84% for Lawler. That is a massive, massive disparity uh, in terms of where is his offense coming from. And in all fairness to Covington, the striking game is where he has made the most strides. If you watch this, his striking in the Damian Maya fight, there's a fair bit of him being off balance and winging punches, and it's just, it's really ugly. Now, Covington striking more recently is still not necessarily anything you'd put in a textbook, or that you would give someone to study if you wanted to show them how to do it correctly. But if you look at his technique from Maya to Lawler, just watch those two fights back-to-back, there is significant improvement in his positioning, in his technical striking. He doesn't get off balance nearly as much in the Lawler fight. He's much more mindful of his footwork. And it's it's the kind of growth that only comes through hard work and dedication, which he clearly has. It's the same with his conditioning. There aren't a tremendous amount of shortcuts when it comes to conditioning your body to go through the to fight at the pace that he does. Uh, there are certainly uh, this doesn't mean to say that there aren't you know various chemical enhancements that can aid it, but you can't shoot a bunch of you know EPO and then get off your couch and run a marathon. The only way to reliably increase your conditioning is hard work over a long period of time. And he has clearly put the work in as far as those goes. Now, to kind of close out, what does this mean for his fight with Kamar Usman? Well, if you want a slightly more detailed look at how those two match up, listen to the most recent episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I go a little bit more into detail about that. But if you just want some like kind of broad strokes... I think the big thing to look for in this fight, if you want to if you want to look at who's going to be successful, it's going to be motion. It's going to be as Covington's nickname indicates, chaos. The more stuff that is happening on a consistent basis, the more scrambles, the more motion, the more I think it tends to favor Covington. Whereas the more static things get, the more controlled they are, the more it favors Usman. And there's a variety of ways that both men look at impl- look at kind of forcing that 
But if you're just looking for again, kind of outcomes, I think that's going to be very, very telling. And the more it stays on the feet, the more I tend to favor Covington. Kamaru Usman is demonstrated thus far to be the harder puncher, but he also spends a lot less time on the feet. And the more it stays there, the more I tend to think Covington will be winning the fight. Now, I could be wrong, and this could play out very, very differently on paper. But if you're just kind of looking for stuff to pay attention to, look at the pace at which that fight is being fought, and look at the area it's being fought in. The more time they spend in the clinch and the more time they spend on the mat, I think that will favor Usman. The more time they spend at distance and the more time they spend scrambling, the more it will favor Covington. But Covington is, I believe, the underdog for this fight, and I don't think that's incorrect. But there's a, again, there's a lot of people who are dismissing his chances because they find him a... They don't like his persona. And I'm going to put my hand in the air. I've probably been guilty of this at one point or another. But you should take his chances in this fight very, very seriously. He is a very, very good fighter. And he does it in some, as we talked about, some somewhat unorthodox ways. And his technique isn't always the cleanest. But his recent string... That, that Those last three fights, the Maya, Dos Anjos, and Lawler fights, show a technical maturation in elements of his game, as well as an understanding of what he wants to accomplish over the course of the fight. And it does, and those two things do not only diametrically oppose Kamaru Usman's game in some respects, they present very serious challenges. Neither Usman nor Covington to this point, has fought anyone like the other. Uh, Covington hasn't fought a talented wrestler in a long time in his UFC career. Uh, Certainly never none to the level of Kamaru Usman, especially that Usman has demonstrated within the context of MMA. And the same is true of Usman. Uh, While he fought Tyron Woodley... He's a very good wrestler himself. Woodley doesn't wrestle a whole lot recently. That's not really been his game. And for a variety of reasons, that's not a shot at Tyron Woodley by any stretch of the imagination. He has certainly never fought someone with the work rate that Covington likes to employ. And not only likes to employ, but has shown an ability and an affinity in some respects for forcing his opponent to accommodate his pace. So it's a very, very interesting clash. I can't wait for UFC 245. The top two fights on that card are just... uh, They are exceptional fights. I'm really hoping nothing crazy happens to that card between now and Saturday. But I'm not telling you to bet anything on Colby Covington. I'm not a gambling man myself. But at a minimum, take his chances seriously in this fight. Because on paper... In, in practice, somebody might just waltz in there and knock the other guy out in 20 seconds. That happens. But on paper, Covington poses some very, very serious threats to Kamar Usman, and do not be surprised at all if he walks out of UFC 245 with the welterweight title. All right, that will be it. Thank you very much for tuning in to this little, 
look at the little skills study kind of thing on Colby Covington. Hopefully the Usman one will be coming in the next couple of days. I have a few things to finalize for it, but I hope you've enjoyed it. Please like, comment, subscribe, if I may steal that. However you found us, please share this video with your friends and family, anyone who's interested in the sport or you think might get a kick out of this. That's always, always welcome. Uh, this coming Saturday for UFC 245, if you're so interested, I will be doing live play-by-play -play coverage in the MMA section of 411mania.com. So you're welcome to stop by and say hello, if, again, if you're so inclined. I will see you next time. Until then, thank you once again. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.